Listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast, where we explore traditional tabletop and live action role playing games through the lens of horror. A special thank you to our Patreons for helping make this podcast possible. Settle in, Thin Bloods, grab a drink in your favorite set of dice, and let the darkness consume you. Mm, 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 mm. All right. Me, 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 me. Three. Rick. <laughs> Two. Noises. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you everyone for tuning in this is a special edition of the Gehenna gaming podcast because this is the first time in quite a while that all three of us have been together to record so i'm going to introduce our topic i'm going to introduce my co-hosts and then we're going to get started so today we are talking about gm preparation how to prep for running a game prep for the session itself and uh different tips and tricks that we picked up as well as advice that we see pretty commonly that uh doesn't work all that well sometimes in practice uh so as like i said i'm uh, ian and today i have both rick and mark with me hello it's mark nice to not hear from everybody in such a long time <laughs> and hello everyone this is rick uh deaf malkavian mark didn't introduce his uh cb radio handle which is mark Josius. That's right. Otherwise, uh, AKA, otherwise known as. That's my CB radio name. Not for those Marchosius. For those who are old enough to uh, be tractor trailer serial killers in the audience, <laughs> we got ourselves a convoy. Remember that? Remember that song? <laughs> oh my God, convoy! Oh, yeah, I remember that movie. So good. Uh, so, uh, what's been going on, guys? I know it's been a while since the three of us have gotten a chance to sit down and talk. Um, Mark, I, you were telling us kind of a hilarious story earlier that I feel like we should roll back yes. into. Yeah, so I am I am knee-deep, I would say probably neck-deep now at this point, in uh, uh, interviewing for day jobs um, since COVID. Things have been obviously dire on that end. Uh, so now I'm just kind of doing the kissing frog situation. And apparently, um, <clears throat> since I have put Gehenna Gaming on my LinkedIn, it has been the cause of conversation for probably about four different interviews now at this point. And they, they kind of all say the same thing. It's the same kind of tone and timbre where they go, uh, oh, uh, what is Gehona? Gehini? Gehini, Yoa. Geisha gaming? Geisha gaming? Geisha gaming. Is that some kind of <laughs> sex hobby? What is this? And so I have to correct them on what it is and say, okay, well, it's Gehenna Gaming. Um, and, you know, we're a, uh experience and event tabletop role-playing promotional company. Um, and we also do quite a lot of um, content marketing. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, overlap mm -hmm. with whatever positions that I'm, that I'm interviewing for. Um, but ultimately, the subject always goes to horror, mm -hmm. and they and... get very, and they get so uncomfortable with it. <laughs> it's it's the skulls and things that just make us feel so like yes. it's kind of creepy. My favorite one is one where they where she goes, she uh, the one of the I think it's the HR manager, it might have been the CEO. It's very very small company. Um, she goes, well, I I do have a concern. With a big pregnant pause, 
uh, yeah, what's um, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's let's look at it. Let's shine a light on that concern. What do you got? Well, it's it's the horror thing. You know, <laughs> we have a very particular kind of culture here, and uh, I, I just I don't want to. You know, it makes me feel uncomfortable. So you have to kind of explain what that means, and then you start mm -hmm. saying things like, "Oh, it's very well, simple, the, the horror genre is one of the most popular genres out there." Um, look at horror movies, look at all of the true crime shows and, and everything else. And it's just, uh, you just gotta say that what you can expect is that I'll be the guy hiding behind the water cooler that jumps out and scares the shit out of you. Well, here's the thing. Here's, here's where my value is, <laughs> is that I may have a little skull on my desk, which I'm not hiding. It's the <laughs> creepy guy in the corner that's hiding the skull in his desk. That you have to watch out for. <laughs> a real human skull, <laughs> not even just a prop replica. <laughs> this Listen. is my former HR manager. <laughs> Why are you uh, gonna no. attack me like that? <laughs> so I too have I've I've put it on my resume and I was looking for some better opportunities. And Mark and I had the same conversation, and it was kind of strange. Where I had two interviews with one company and they're both like so the second thing on here is the, that you do this. What is that? And I'm like, well, I pretty much echoed what Mark said. I'm like, yeah. you know, and we did this great thing where we raised money for COVID. And, yeah, seven, you know, over $7,000. Yeah, and now, you know, other companies are bringing us on board to help them. And, hey, it's just awesome to take something that you love and turn it into a business, you know, and have a great time with that, right? And they're both, you know. They're just, they're just kind of looking at me like, yeah, I guess that is. And well, then, uh, I don't understand half the words you said, but uh, I like the way you said them. Correct. <laughs> they well, were like, uh, so we just thought that you were going to be going into this field instead, and we were concerned that you wouldn't oh, want to work here. It's not an either or. Well, actually, we prefer our employees to drink copious amounts of alcohol, watch Netflix, and beat their wives. What is this hobby that you speak of? I'm sorry. I don't know if our culture supports raising money for charity. <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. Uh, <laughs> so Go ahead. I was going to say, needless to say, the uh, the conversation sometimes can can kind of go sour, uh, but it makes me feel good talking about all of the great things that we've done over the past even six months within, within this quarantine, within the pandemic. We yeah. have done some pretty amazing things, and it, it makes me think back and go, oh, my God, what a point of pride I have. It's not just something that I put on my LinkedIn. It's a specific thing that I'm extremely proud of. So yeah. I got to say thank you, boys. Thank you. Thank you. It, was, it was cool because when – I had like four guys in the room with me being like, what's that? But then when I actually met the guy who was like the president of the company, he was like, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And he was like, all right. Like that kind of goes hand in hand with what you're here for. So yeah, that, that's fine. That's what you want to hear, man. That's awesome. Yeah. But I mean, I, I put it right out there. I'm like, so you guys know I am a nerd. <laughs> big, <laughs> big geek. So, Tattooed on my forehead. The analog you can use is real that most people understand. You go, okay, you know Dungeons and Dragons? It's like that. And they go, Oh, okay. oh satanic panic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Castles? Is that what that 
episode. Dark <laughs> mansion. Dark dungeons. Dark, dark, dark dungeons. dungeons. Dark dungeons. <laughs> yeah. If, if nobody knows what we're talking about, there was a uh, there's chick these tracks. things called chick tracks that were like these propaganda, um, Christian propaganda cartoons that were warning people against the evils of masturbation and being gay or whatever. And one of them was specifically tied to warning children of the dangers about um, playing Dungeons and Dragons and how it leads to Satanism. It does. Just look at me. And so it has. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it worked for me. <laughs> Satanism can work for you. <laughs> On that note, let's talk about converting people to Satan. No, um, <laughs> sorry. Gaming prep. GM prep. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's that's a dog. It's a, a dog. Whoops. <laughs> okay, so right. game master preparation. This is something we're very familiar with. All three of us have done it. I'm doing it right now, planning for uh, a cult game that's streamed. I want to do some cult gaming um, off stream. I'm, I'm writing a couple yep. of different scenarios for Vampire, and as are the other two boys here. So we do a lot of GM preparation. Quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and for us, or at least for me, um, it's fun to think about this because I don't all that often anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I've been doing it for 20 years now, almost. Yeah, 20 years. Comes natural. So I'm just like, it's it's interesting to stop and think about the things that I do versus just kind of going through it. Um, and it actually helps because I have a lot of one shots I'm prepping right now. So, nice. you know, and that's something that <clears throat> I did want to talk about is the difference between planning a one shot versus planning a campaign. Um, I have fallen in love with running one shots since oh, so Virtual Horror Con and, and Onyx Path Con. That's all I want to do is just run one shots. I feel like there's there's less pressure when you're running a one shot to mm-hmm. plan, first of all, <laughs> but yeah. also there you can you can do things that you can't do. You can be wild with it. You can be yeah. like, well, everyone's going to die at the end of this. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just get completely off the walls with it and just have fun. Um, players players react the same way to that too, I think. Uh, people tend to be more cautious because they don't want their character to die when yeah. you're running a campaign. Um and you don't want to kill the characters either. You don't want someone to spend so much time and so much emotional investment in their PC to go, ah, first session, they're dead. I, I mean, I usually mm-hmm. run Call of Cthulhu. That's not a thing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think that when that caution goes away in a with a one-shot, uh, everyone feels more comfortable just yeah. kind of diving in and doing things they wouldn't normally do. Yeah. I, I mean, I read... I ran a one shot for it was it Onyx Path or was it it might have been either Onyx Path Con or, or Virtual Horror Con, I don't remember. Um mm-hmm. but it's a scenario where I have the um cathedral flesh that's discoverable in a city. But it's not part of the main storyline. Okay. So, so if they talk to the right people and find the right information, they can find it. For one shot, I make it really easy to find because it's pretty cool for them to find it in one shot. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> and they dove right in. They're like, if it was a, if it was a campaign, I feel like as you're going down the stairs and suddenly realizing like, oh fuck, this is a cathedral of flesh. They would have gotten the hell out of there. Right. But because it was a one shot, they went deep, as deep as they could go. You know, it's funny you say that because I know that 
during PAX Unplugged, Ian had a crazy scenario where people were completely just like, hell yeah, I want to basically get taken over by something completely evil. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's funny, you're right. Those are the leaps that people make when they're playing uh, No Holds Barred. Just that one-shot mentality. Uh, as far as prepping them, it varies. I mean, I I feel like I overplan to the point where it, it's something that could become a campaign. Yeah, which is why most of your one-shots do turn into campaigns. Yeah. It's something <laughs> This is actually not really a re- podcast recording. This is a intervention. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I guess uh, for both of you, what what do you do differently in a when you know you're planning a campaign as opposed to a one shot? I'm less linear. Um, I do a lot of like possible hooks that could turn into things that I could develop on the road, and I like partly develop them, but not all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess to put it into a symbol. There's a a video store, right? And in the back of the video store, there could be a few different things. Depending on what storyline they're on, I might change it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't go deep into the conspiracy of who controls this video store and kind of what's the, you know, ongoing kind of underbelly, criminal underbelly or kindred underbelly if it's a vampire game. Um, and once they discover it, once they find out, I'll kind of read the reactions a little bit and take it from there. With a one shot the video store will have will be a very very important thing um it'll be in connection with the story arc that i've planned and you know there's walls they can only go as far back as they can with mine i think when i run one shots they are way more structured yeah i keep them really sandbox however they're like mummy is a good example for Onyx Pathcon. I knew the story I wanted to tell in a much more <clears throat> concise way. And the emotional impacts I wanted to have and the experiences I wanted the players to have. And I had a good idea of how it was going to wrap up in a nice little bow so that we could literally put, you know, an end to that session. Um, players being players. You don't always know when you're going to write a one-shot how long that's going to go unless you try it out with a couple of friends. It's hard to find the pacing, right? I've had some where I've made like a ton of scenes and players kind of flow through them, um, just bouncing from one uh, setting to another, whether they find a clue very quickly or they're very ambitious to get going. With Mummy, it was interesting. I had a ton of places they were going to go and they stayed in the first one a lot longer than I anticipated. They were humans longer than I ever thought they would have wanted to be. I thought for sure they'd be like, let's get the show on the road and become fucking undead, you know? But they got super emotionally attached to the story. And there's no, there's no instance where you should rush that. That's so cool. If, when, did they, if, when did they finally change? Like, what was, like if it's a three-act play... Was it the first end of the first act, sometime in the in the uh, second act? Or are we looking at a story which is telling the like kind of embrace travel of yeah, these so humans? The first act was them being selected, being told uh, on their final day of preparation 
because this is an empire that used to do this all the time. They would select certain people to become arisen and carry on their legacy and also work for these deity gods. Um, so it was kind of like the day before their ritual where they would have become the, uh, the arisen. And they meet with their teacher. They have a good scene and they get really attached to him. They go to this party where they're supposed to be celebrating the last night and their sacrifice and everything they're going to do for the civilization, but they don't see their teacher and they get worried and they see like drunk people getting like carted off somewhere. They go to inspect the classroom and they find that there was a struggle. Um, they, they got really deep into what happened to him. Like I'm not okay moving on with my own destiny until I find out that he's all right. That's awesome. What a cool story. And they got into it. They, they got into something that they couldn't, they couldn't save him. If they, if they rolled right, I would have been like, yes. But they didn't. And they just met with this concrete wall of the time running out where it's your destiny and <laughs> literally how much time they have before they could have saved him. And there was like a good five minutes where they were just like realizing that there was nothing they could do to save that person. And I feel like even, I don't know, as the ST watching it, I could feel it. I was like, that is some heavy shit. It like sits in your stomach yeah. like a brick. Like they are mourning this. And, you know, as they become arisen, they look down into this pit where all these drunks and people who are like the unwanted dregs of society. The teacher told them something he wasn't supposed to. He gets carted off pretty much like a Portland protest by government goons, right? I went there. <laughs> so, anyway, so they throw him into the base of this pit. And as they're getting it ritually turned into a risen, they're tied to a table, they're stabbed, they're bleeding out, they get flipped over, the pit opens, and it's all those people looking up at them, screaming, and like a ritual fire engulfs them. And all of their life energy goes into the arisen as they're dying. There's a sacrifice that they weren't told about, that there's literally over 100 people that need to die in order to make them live life after life as an undying thing. And as their process is happening in the last moments they see, is their teacher down below them in anguish that they failed to save? That's and then they awaken in the duat. Now that was supposed to be like, okay, you know, chapter one, like let's pick up the pie chart. Chapter one out of four, right? It was supposed to be like a quick thing. That was half the session. Yeah. It was, sounds like that that was, it sounds like that that was the, that was almost like the climax, like the rising action was them getting to that point, discovering, you know, what happened to their teacher or whatever. Um, and that's pretty cool. And there's something about that, like planning, you, you've planned all this stuff and then the players take it and tell a more interesting story. They did. Than you, than you plan. Not that, that whatever you're planning <laughs> was more or less interesting, but like it, it's got to feel like that. And that was a one shot, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I had plans to hopscotch them through history a little bit. And I, it's funny because they get used to a certain rhythm, right? Yeah. And maybe this happens more in one shots than it does in campaigns. They get used to a system of the game. Like, okay. I woke up, I didn't have memory, I did my thing, I remembered a little bit more. When I wake up again, cool, we'll all still be together. No. <laughs> they woke up and one of them was gone. Yep. 
and they didn't have memory of him because someone manipulated it and didn't allow them to. So now it's like, do you have an enemy out there? Do you, is someone missing? No, no one's missing. And meanwhile, this person wakes up and he's expecting cultists and his friends and he's alone in a cave with a dead body and a note that basically like, ha ha. And he wanders for like several years alone as like a homeless person <laughs> until he feels relics being drained of that power nearby and gets drawn to them. He, he, I think it was like three or five years until the other players woke up and were like, oh, and they didn't even realize anything happened. Rick, until they finally are... met. Rick, your games are fucking dark. <laughs> so, uh, Ian, I, I, I feel like that I want to I throw the question back to you because you were, you know, in regards to the planning between a one shot versus a campaign. I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that you have a slightly different approach, if not flipped. One shots. What, say it again. I don't really plan one shots. Yeah, you just kind of you kind of go <laughs> sandbox. No, I mean, it. I do. Um, when I'm running them for convention, so it, when I'm running it for a convention where I have a hard time limit, mm-hmm. I I do I do I make them a little more linear and I plan points in time to in order to maintain pacing. So I'll be like, okay, this is going to happen, and then. 30 minutes in, this is going to happen regardless of where the players are sort of stuff. Um, That helps me control pacing, and it also helps me control uh, the level of, uh, you know, emotional touchstones that I want to really tap into. Um, With uh, streamed games, it's different. Um, and with things that I don't have a hard time limit on, it's very different. I tend to make it much more sandbox and fluid. I give, I basically know how I want it to start, um, how I want to kick off the session, and then I leave it completely open up until a certain point, which would be kind of like once they've kind of figured out enough clues for the story or picked up enough of the plot hooks, then I start driving them toward a um an event and how that event shapes out will depend on everything they did beforehand so i basically say this is going to happen this antagonist is going to do x but i i don't have anything planned after that it, that will be entirely based on what they did in the first half hmm. um so for games so for like the they came from beyond the sea game that i ran for on its path con a great game my, my I, favorite streamed game Thank you. I still go back um, and watch it. My favorite game that I've ever run. It was because I basically wow. didn't run anything. I just sat there and watched everything happen. <laughs> so good. You had some good um, players. I did. I had some amazing players, all four of them. But um, oh, shout, can, can we do a quick shout out? Quick shout out to Wes, Jacob, Dixie, and Meredith. Yep. <laughs> For being amazing. Yes. All four great eggs. Yes. Uh, but no, I basically planned, um, if, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, I won't give, I won't give any spoilers, but I basically planned the introduction in the town. I did not plan the scene in the country store in any way, shape or form, because I had no idea how Wes was going to play his character. And as soon as he started, I went, I know what I'm doing with this. And that that scene just birthed itself in my head as so it unroll, unraveled. 
Um, but I had I had a rough plan for the general tone that I wanted to maintain on the ship, which got completely shot out of the water uh, <laughs> because of the talent that I had. Um, and then I had a general concept for when, how I wanted to reveal the monster and when. And that also got derailed. <laughs> so I, 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 it still presented everything in the same manner, um, but where in the story it happened changed dramatically, which is why it ended the way it ended. Um, there was supposed to, the battle with the creature was supposed to be a lot longer. Um, <laughs> there was supposed to be a lot more things going on with that that just didn't happen because of timing and because of how and amazing, that because of not wanting to cut the amazing role play ahead of it short. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, um, if I'm running one shot for a convention, it's very structured in that I have it's based on the time frame I have. If I'm not, I don't do much planning at all. I do I do significantly more planning for campaigns. See, I, I got to say, there's something cool about that, too, because <clears throat> with one shots, I worry that my players are not getting the sandbox experience of a regular campaign, mm-hmm. the go anywhere, do anything element of a one shot or of a of an ongoing campaign where like oh, okay we're just going to pick up if we stop now we're just going to pick up our next session with a mm-hmm. one shot there has to kind of be in my mind there kind of has to be a beginning a middle and an end even if it is developed throughout mm-hmm. the game like your style there has yeah. to be some kind of arc there has to be some kind of okay you know rising action climax and then you know the descent into you know the finality of the game yeah they're done yeah. And it's different based on what game you're playing too. Some of games lend yes. themselves to having a more freeform structure than others. Mm-hmm. Like when I first did the V5 game for uh, Unplugged, mm-hmm. I had it structured, but at the same time, I had players who were like, "I just want to like this is terrifying. I just got to embrace. I want to run the street out of here." And I'm like, "Okay, do it." Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, "Wait, you're gonna let me do that?" I'm like, "I'm here to let you do whatever you want." You know, and it worked because I had other places in my mind that I I could have easily set this you know, that I've run before. So it's like, all right, I can put you through a city. That's cool. I find Cthulhu to be, like, when I ran it, I was still kind of terrified because I had never run it before. Yeah. But the great thing about Cthulhu is that you want your players to feel that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just like, something needs to be picked up here or some tension needs to happen or they need to find something weird. Well, shit, that would happen anyway. <laughs> you know? I'm also a big fan of, like, if especially for for conventions, if you're running multiple sessions, and I think I I think I aped this a little bit um, from from Dan, who like that's just his bread and butter. He'll have a scenario and will kind of track between players what they what choices they make, um, and he has a whole scenario based around that idea. But what I like to do is I'll take a setting and have you know one group goes in and they can go to wherever they want. Um, but pay attention to where they, where they go to. And then with the, with the next group, um, the next four people that come in, they can go wherever they want as well. And I, I like to get excited about how deep or how far or, you know, if they only like inch the edge of the, the damned city in, my, in, in the um, Matthew Dawkins um, uh, scenario that he wrote, The Summit. Which I ran for for uh, virtual horicon. You know, I had a group that only got past the bridge, and that was about it. <laughs> and then That's I had a, 
<laughs> it's all this is, but it was really interesting, and it was interesting because it was character driven by the yeah. players, and I I did not want to stop them. Like, no, 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 you guys need to go in more. It's like fuck it. If they want to, if that's all, as far as they want to make it to, cool. I had another group that went all the way up into the tower, into the monarch tower, and tried to get as as far up as they could. So, you know, um, I kind of want to run a cult game with no planning at all. I I think that cult would definitely be a good setting to do that with. Yeah, like yeah, like not even a hair. I want the player character sheets in front of me, and yeah. I just want to go. Yeah. Give me, give it. Put down an NPC, one relation. You get right. your arc. You get your archetype, and then you you basically plan it like vampire, right? You have a city. Now go. Yeah. You you mentioned Call of Cthulhu, uh, and, and being terrified of running that because you never run it. The best Call of Cthulhu game I've ever run had five minutes of prep time. Nice. So maybe that's just how people need to run Call of Cthulhu accounts. Um, if you some it's people, gonna work for some people, right? Yeah, some some players want a more linear experience. They want a story. They want to experience a story because that's typically how Call of Cthulhu is structured. Um, that scares the hell out of me though to like run it with no plan. Uh, yeah, I was nervous. Um, I the thing it was set in a setting that I had already explored very thoroughly in my head because it's uh, for that for a streamed actual play that we haven't done yet that I and we talked about a very long time ago but <laughs> uh, life happened <laughs> I think COVID happened actually <laughs> I, very much so it was supposed to, I was, it was supposed to start in March yeah that was before the plague <laughs> so um, I think that. A, in terms of actual advice to people, do what feels comfortable. Um, right. Don't, you will always, if you are a prepper, you will always prep more than you need to. And you should, and you always keep in mind that your players are going to destroy your plans and you need to yeah. be okay with that. Yeah. Um, if you aren't okay with that, don't spend as much time planning and prepping. You know, it's exciting though when they do, because I like to, I like to, to liken it towards okay i've built a house right or i've built a world that has walls i haven't planned anything beyond these walls and there's woods and trees and everything and they go off the path it's like okay it's fine they're off the path everything's going to be okay so long as they don't reach that wall everything is fine because i planned everything most players will go what's over that wall mm -hmm. and what's exciting is you get to go i don't know let's find out yeah <laughs> first first one shot i ever ran at a convention uh the very first thing the players did was uh, do something I hadn't put into any of my prep. Cool. Very first thing. I was like, well, all right, I'm going to wing this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you broke my game. Great. <laughs> no, it was fine. It was absolutely fine. I just had to come up with an Elysium and uh, other kindred NPCs on the fly. So here's where um, I think this is a good segue into how do you plan a story arc with that in mind? Um. Go ahead, Rick. <laughs> I, I plan my story arcs around my characters. Mm. Um, when I make a sitting, I've got stories that I have going on in that sitting. Whether the players discover them or not is really how they play. Some of those stories are happening regardless. Uh, some of them are needing to be discovered. But 
you know, a story arc needs to happen with the players as being the focal characters, right? Mm -hmm. So take a look at their backstories, figure out what their convictions are. Touchstones is great in V5. Make sure you include them. Oh, yeah. um, maybe talk to your players a little more after they hand in their sheet as far as, you know, what is your actual relationship with this uh, person? You know, maybe it was your grandma, look out for the week or whatever. Why is that? Did something happen to her? You know, what is, is she in the city? You know, and a lot of characters, uh, especially with like a one shot, uh, but doesn't really matter. The story arcs, a lot of people like pencil whip sire and leave it out when that's actually a huge important thing to a kindred, right? Yeah. It can even kind of pepper how other people look at you and react to you, whether that's a positive thing or a negative thing. So I'd say really just distill who your players are. Think about what they want, where they want to go, what they want to experience, what's their play style. It's not even just like about who their character is. It's who is that player? What are they looking for and what are they looking to get out of this game? And how can I make it about them in a way that they're going to be really happy with that direction? Maybe they're going to be, maybe they're going to be the victim of dice and their tail's not going to go the way they expected, but how do you get them to enjoy that regardless? You know, mm -hmm. if they're going to fall, make it a great fall. Don't let them yeah, go out on the, yeah. They're expecting to have this like grand hero's journey. And then it becomes just a, a parade of, of horrible choices. And that yeah. in itself becomes kind of its own organic arc. As long as it's unforgettable, right? Ideally. That's what people want. Um, planning the story arc around the, the player characters is, this is, and this is not to naysay it. I think that's good advice. Um, but it's very much a world of darkness. Um, Dungeons and Dragons to an extent. Uh, but it's it's kind of that style of game mm -hmm. approach. Um, I know a lot of Call of Duty Keepers who would disagree with that idea because your your players are expected to die in Call of Cthulhu. Um, yeah, they're you know, seen as like nothing, right? Yeah, they're yeah. disposable. In the scale open scale, yeah. Um, I personally... Mm. I like to balance it, um, but most of the time I run Call of Cthulhu, I base it around the story, uh, and then I work in bits and pieces of the player characters. Um, things that won't be weird if that player character dies, but I think overall that... Basically, basically, you can do it both ways. You can base your story arc around the player characters, or you can base it around a story that the player characters are just dumped into, but um, embrace that and make sure your players are on board with it ahead of time. Uh, don't try to hedge it both ways. It gets weird. Yeah, because then you're trying to retrofit, and it doesn't really quite yep. fit all the way. I like to... I would almost challenge it altogether and say, why even have a story arc? Because this is a different kind of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a certain sense of organic mini arcs that will happen. I think that people will play out a little bit of a self-fulfilled story arc themselves. But even just like, even the experience of sitting in a dungeon locked up, um, you know, chained to the wall after getting caught 
stealing from that king that they really should not have tried to steal from because you wanted him to go to a completely different area of the map. Um, And that session entirely takes place in the dungeon. There's no killing of monsters. There's just arguments between friends that are locked up Mm -hmm. tend to sometimes be the most enjoyable. Oh, yeah. 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 You don't need a story arc for that. No, absolutely not. I think... You see consequences. It's like in-character banter. That really builds the flavor and dynamic between those people. It is. It's building character relation, player character relationships. It's slice of life in some cases. The um, the came from beneath the sea game. The reason that I completely threw half my planning out the window was because there was so much character depth and growth happening through slice of life conversation for over an hour of the game. <laughs> That I was just like, this is better and more important, and this yeah. is what they're having fun doing and is entertaining to the people watching. I can give a really good example, actually, of something that we have seen at the um, at our home game, in our Vampire the Masquerade game, um, Providence. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, there was a situation where one of our players did not write down um, experience expenditure for the Haven, where he wanted to have like it's like extra bit of space or or um i don't remember specifically what it was um that he wanted to include in the white rabbit um but he didn't write it down on the sheet so you're like well you didn't write it down so it just didn't happen and in the this he became very concerned with it in the middle of the game and it got to be a point where we were all kind of treating it as if his character who owns the bar was actually kvetching over the fact that he cannot find bottles of Vitae, which he ordered long ago. And it was like a good half hour, 45 minutes where we're all like cross tabletop arguing over it. That was amazing. Yep. <laughs> that was amazing. That's hilarious. It had that. nothing to do with story. It wasn't nope. planned. It had everything to do with like, oops, I didn't write it down. And, mm-hmm. and that was, a, that's a pretty memorable experience from my end. Anyways, I, I yeah. loved that moment. That was a good one. I think uh, this segues a little bit into another topic we wanted to talk about. So it's yes. timing, but the best way to, as the storyteller, as the game master, to guide a story arc, regardless of if you've planned it or if it's being improvised or if it's being character driven, is to have strong NPCs that yes. you can use to guide the action rather than kind of railroading. Um, if your NPCs can fit naturally into it because the characters are engaged by them and feel strongly about them, um, or because you forge them as very integral to the things that the players have done so far, that can help control the story arc but i think npc development by itself could be an entire episode of the podcast how oh, we, sure. we did an hour-long conversation about it for um onyx path onyx path gun virtual horror yeah um, yeah. yeah i was on that one yeah i know so was i <laughs> um that i think at least from my point of view i spend more time on developing my npcs typically than i do like the the plot of the game yeah npcs make plot Mm -hmm. exactly yeah yeah the story the story will will come up from that you know you have a character that an npc that's got a motivation one way or the other there's something that they want they have a backstory a reason for them to be in said setting and then all of a sudden it's like oh well they're like a puzzle that 
fits really nicely into this mm -hmm. into the setting into the arc i am um, i obsess over <clears throat> with npcs i obsess over like who they how they are uh like mannerisms and stuff this is happening more and more and i think it's becoming an unhealthy obsession voices and and mannerisms but also that helps to like why is it that they have this specific thing about them why do they walk this way why do they talk like that yeah. where are they from are they from the south or are they from an or you know do they have parents that kind of stuff everyone is a collection of their experiences and how they portray themselves to the player characters how your npcs portray themselves to the player characters is going to be driven by that so it, that's really important um that's probably one reason i tend to reuse this particularly in vampire i reuse old pcs as npcs because I i've already love that. thought yeah. about them so much yeah that i can just so seamlessly switch between them like nikolai and Syndra. um I'm also the type of person where, like, I'm not going to get mad if, like, the players kill that NPC. I'm not going to be like, oh, no, you killed my darling. I'm like, okay, I'm really fucking impressed because he was really powerful and that was really mm -hmm, cool. Right. Um, and it's not like I just can't just use him again in another game eventually. <laughs> like, nothing is yeah. stopping me from doing that. He's not, I don't have to burn the character sheet now. <laughs> and how cool is it? Like, you've spent time developing a character, and this happens with me a lot, where I have made character sheets and with full intention of actually using them in a game and never doing that. Mm -hmm. But then I get to use them in a scenario. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I took um, one of my, one of my first player groups for this setting I'm doing. I've had, I think two or three different groups now playing. Um, some of his actions became so dark and questionable that he is now a villain in my campaign. <laughs> he's not playing anymore <laughs> but he's yep. a villain there he's a sabat leader and uh it makes perfect sense so i mean yeah. it, it fits so well and i think it's a great way to honor the player characters that have been given to you these people are, are giving characters to your story your narrative and when they're done playing as long as it's cool with them you know ask them um they're usually more than thrilled to have a piece of what they've created still out there living in the world you know that gave me goosebumps that's so cool that you do that i don't actually um that that's a good question because personally i don't reuse other people's player characters um i i don't either and i don't know why um i don't because it's par it's partially influenced from players i've i know who wouldn't want me to who wouldn't want anyone to um without permission uh so it's kind of like one of those catch 22 right. things where like if i know yeah. like i couldn't like this player would be annoyed if i did it i just don't do it for anyone i just set a blanket rule for myself um this guy was thrilled <laughs> yeah it's because i know who you're talking about it's perfectly accepted. like that's fine perfectly well, fine well if it's if it's a streamed game or if it's something that's going to be published or pushed out to the world that's one thing but if it's just like regular game I don't know. Maybe I should ask permission to do that. I have never done that. I think it's genius. And I think it's a really cool way because then you can talk to that person who played in one game or a few games with you mm -hmm. and they're no longer playing with you and say, hey, by the way, your NPC is still working yeah. at that place over there, still doing shit and still causing trouble, by the way. Like your character still lives on. For me, it would also depend. Like 
for example, if it was one of my characters, I would want someone to ask because there's one or two I wouldn't want people to use. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Rick, you've used Grab. Actually, have And well, how dare you? You were going to. But you, you asked me to. Um, yeah, I was going to have you play him. Yeah, you were going to have me play him for uh, one of your games. And I was fine with that, especially because you were going to have me play him. But um, <laughs> like he, him, I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You all, A, you played in a game with him, so you understood how I structured him. But right. also, like he was a character where, yes, I'm very attached to him. But yeah. I'm like, he, he's designed in a way where he's very unique as, as a Tremere. Yeah. So I like you you wanting to use him is like makes me feel good because I'm like, sweet, you like him. But I have other characters where like the way I've designed them, they have so many secrets and stuff like I wouldn't want to reveal those in case I potentially play them again. Right. Like like Syndra or Nikolai I would be like, eh. well, Rick, you could use Syndra, but because <laughs> yeah, I designed him <laughs> for a game you were running. Um, But like, I'd be like. There's a lot of nuance to them, and I don't want yeah. it. Like you can base a character, you I would be like you can base an NPC on them, but I prefer you didn't use them. Sort of. Situation. You lived in those shoes for too long for anyone to really do it justice. You know what I mean? Yeah, to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Degree, that's, yeah. that's how I would feel. I mean, even Graham, um, he'd be kind of like a one and done NPC unless you cameoed again. And I feel almost I feel the same way now with uh, Chandri with Mark, <laughs> where I can't refer <laughs> back unless Mark's playing. You know, oh, yeah. I, I gotta say, I'm like, I don't understand that feeling at all. But then you, then you mentioned Shanti, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, no one's allowed to play her. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like, it'd, it would be like, um, specifically Nikolai for me. I'd be like, no, 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 no. or Shannon, who I played in the uh, the V5 game at Onyx Pathcon. So I, I that's, used like, that's a character that's very dear to me. So I, I like used him. to I used to listen to a podcast called Harmontown, um, which yeah. is. Uh, no longer R.I.P. Harmontown, um, and they had an ongoing Dungeons and Dragons campaign, which they ended up having guest players. Did it turn into an animated series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never watched it, um, yeah. just because I was more into the podcast than anything else. I heard it was. I mean, it's basically. I'm sure it's great. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a great <laughs> group of people. Didn't, you didn't watch it. I didn't watch it, but they would have these like guest celebrities that would come on and just talk talk you know, talk shit on a podcast. And then the last 25 minutes or 20 minutes of the, of the podcast, they would play Dungeons and Dragons and they would play one character. And there was a, I think it would belong to somebody else who was a kind of semi-regular person. It's like, okay, well they're not on, you could play, you know, um, this person's character. Um, and I think it was, was it Kumail? Nanjiani that like started cutting off, their fingers and like carving messages into <laughs> into their skin for that person who was definitely going to play the next time. And uh, there's something about that whole like you're, you're kind of defacing the character, but it's yeah. really funny. So it's I really give good. you I give you full per, full permission to deface any of my characters that you come across, except Shanti. <laughs> except Shanti, I will kill you. <laughs> uh, so. On these other topics that we are trying to cover tonight for our GM preparation, tools. What kind of documents, structures, maybe even city mapping? Uh, I know, Mark, I think you initially introduced me to relationship mapping with, was it Cozy? Kumu? Uh, Kumu.io. Kumu yes, which I, I've, 
I took and went crazy with. And I think that's what really helped me get my session in my, my city set going so well. Yeah. Because I was able to really think about and put in perspective, like some of the relationships of the NPCs that I maybe have not thought about before. Um, I don't, I think continuing to use it and update it with changes would be way too much of a hassle for me. But I think when it comes to starting a session, starting a, a SETI setting of any kind, it's super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like Kumu because it, it's like these little nodes that are floating around. You can connect them, connect the nodes together and you can have a location versus a person. And um, someone even mapped LA by night um, and have created a whole f uh, framework on, on werewolves versus kindred versus humans and everything else. Um, and it can get really, really complicated. But what I like about it, if you keep it semi-linear or at least not as overcomplicated and just kind of have people and places and maybe important things, you know, like a legendary weapon or something that is located somewhere, yep. that kind of stuff. Um, and it's it, it easy to like... update Sorry. from there. No, it's fine. It's easy, it's easy to update from there. It's, it's just uh, over time, it. it gets too much. Yeah, if you keep it simple in the first place, you can keep it updated. But just adding to it and adding to it gets overwhelming. I um, yeah, it's interesting. So I'm gonna ignore one shots here. Um, just yeah. talk about persistent campaigns. Um, okay. I definitely map. I do a lot of. I pull up maps of the area. I find like neighborhood maps and I print them. I get especially for in-person games. Obviously, um, I've only run one shots really online that was oh. a self-realization sorry um <laughs> other than like the one session of our providence game that we did that we should probably go back to at some point anyway um i miss providence me too uh mapping i do a lot of mapping because i like to like i actually yes geo mapping well even i i do blueprints for buildings like there's um in providence the white rabbit i have a full blueprint for the entire club Right. Um, I actually really like battle maps. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of D and D. Um, seeing terrain, um, especially when the GM lets me utilize the terrain. Um, right. Because I tend to play rogues and rangers and people who have high athletics and dexterity. So I like to be able to be like, well, I'm going to climb a tree and then leap off the tree onto the ogre's head. I get a damage bonus. That's reality, <laughs> sort of stuff. <laughs> um, versus, um, it's actually. Me pulling down power line wires in your game. Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> it's always useful, especially in a combat scene, which we, there's not a ton of in Vampire, depending on how you're running it, to be able to see the scene in front of you. Like when you were fighting in an alley, and I, I was like, well, there is a sewer grate, and there's a 90-degree turn in the alley, and someone's trying to drive a car down it. Like, this is getting awkward. Um, so mapping... Both geo mapping, but also scene mapping, building mapping, things like that are big for me. And then um, I do outline my sessions based on the previous session. So I don't really, it's not so much that I plan what's going to happen, but I, I think about what happened the previous session, what the player characters did, and how the NPCs will react to it next time they mm -hmm. see them. Um, and I try to map that out. And I, if there's 
an event that I want to occur or I know is going to happen because like, okay, next session we're going and investigating the abandoned church. Okay, well, I know what's in the abandoned church, so I need to plan for the events that are going to unfold when you go into it versus, well, it's kind of open-ended. We're going to, we're at the club. We're going to go do our thing. I'm like, okay, well, here's the NPCs. Here's some potential plot hooks to continue them moving towards the story arc. Um, They may or may not discover them. I just kind of outline all that. It's usually one page. I print it. I have it in front of me while I'm doing things. I keep it with like my binder full of NPC sheets and stuff like that. Um, those are the two big things that I use for prep tool wise. I actually kind of abandoned the relationship mapping in V5. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed the last couple sessions of Providence. We did not update the relationship map. We didn't look at the relationship map. Um, it also hasn't changed yeah. much across those sessions. So that's, um, a, that's, that's a hard one for that system for, for V5 is the relationship map. I mean, even I think it's a great tool for the GM. Um, see, I don't. I think it's a good I think it's a great tool for the players. Yeah. Um, I don't find it particularly useful as the GM. I, think I have. Go ahead. So for me, it's like if the players want to keep it up to date. Awesome. I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> and I think most players would err on the side of not updating it to be honest, out of not out of disinterest or not liking it, but I think out of Mm -hmm. um, being distracted by the game. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of Google and all of the Google Doc suite, Mm -hmm. the entire thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. I will use Google Maps, my maps to create my own little map um, if it's in a modern setting. I even like to use Google Maps if it's a not so modern setting because you can find areas of the world that are like deserts or like jungles mm-hmm. or anything. Um, I write outlines. I like to write little intros and outros and speeches and kind of descriptions or, you know, if somebody comes into a certain setting or into a certain building, I'll have like a little thing that I say. Um, yep. So I'll kind of write that down. Um, and the relationship mapping will help me tell the story and help me keep track of everybody, but it's mostly really to help the relationship between the PCs and the NPCs. Yeah, that's that's more or less how I what I use like my outlines for is yeah. relationships between the PCs and NPCs. Um, and I could use a tool like Kumu for that. I think um, there's just kind I, of the, <laughs> the level level of effort that goes into ma- maintaining it that is like I can write out a one page outline. I want here's I like I also write things down on paper too though. Like so I. I want a you know. A minority report kind of like <laughs> heads up display because I want the tactileness of it mm-hmm. and I need to be able to have like that three dimensional. There's a reason when, why, when we compared ourselves to fictional characters, you were the dude from it's always sunny with the corkboard. <laughs> yeah. Pepe Sylvia just keeps coming up. I don't remember mine. Um, weird. But when it comes and to those... I just started blasting. Yeah, I know the, uh, the session recaps I heavily focus on yep. and look at to see what's happening, what changed because of their decisions, what decisions have the NPCs made elsewhere in the city that they didn't interact with, what's happening there. Um, the relationship map, man, I am a bad boy. I have never once used that. Yeah. Uh, shame, shame. My players have, and that's cool. Yeah. And I, I should You've honestly... used it as a player. Yeah, and I should encourage them to do it more often. And when you've 
asked me about it as a player, I was like, oh, this is great. I like introspectively thinking about how I... I like being asked the question, because you don't always ask yourself that question as a player. One thing I think, and we're, we're harping a lot on the relationship map, which makes this very vampire-focused, but the one thing that I think the relationship map is good at is that decompression at the end of a session. Yeah. Um, because it, it lets, you, lets you be a little introspective and think about how you engaged with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and how everyone engaged with you and how your character reacts to that. And I, maybe some people find that stressful, but to me, that's very relaxing, um, especially if I'm wound up at the end of a session, because I can just kind of be like, oh, yeah, I was being a giant asshole. Well, my character would. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, oh, now I'm I'm noting that my character was being a giant asshole. Yeah. And there are not only consequences of that, but it's like, then you can start thinking of like, well, why was my character being such an asshole? Exactly. Which is really cool. And I also like to think about, because I've been playing vampires since I was like 14 or 15 years old, Yeah. I like to think about high school kids that are playing with actual fucking cork boards. Ooh. You know what I mean? Or like with, uh, they're probably not. And maybe I'm old. Not today. Oh, but when, when you and I were started playing, we would have used actual cork boards. Today they're using oh my fucking, God, yeah. uh, Google has a digital cork board. Oh, they cool. do? It's called a jam board. I need that. I discovered it on Saturday when I was uh, invited to play in a 10 candles game because we used it. It's Google. Google? Is this like part of Google Classroom? I'll I'll send you a link and we'll put it in the show notes since we're talking about it. Yes, please. Because (laughs) I like I like Miro um, and Miro is really fun. Miro is super useful. And it would be a fantastic tool for this kind of thing. Because Miro is great. I actually really love Miro. Um, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for Jamboard. So you guys talk about um, the next topic. <laughs> yes, guiding campaigns during the session. Um, the idea behind keeping things on track. Um, you know, you have the a very typical moment that a lot of GMs and a lot of players have been in, where all the players are sitting in front of a door and testing the hell out of it, testing it for traps, testing it for spells or for any kind of boogie boogies that might be on the other side listening is there any if we walk through the store is bad shit going to happen and you have to try to get your players to walk through that goddamn door um how do you guide the campaign through the inset through the session how do you keep things moving you want the snarky answer or the serious answer i want the snarky one <laughs> i don't i let the players do it you let, yeah. them, sit, you let them sit at the door if they're like Completely, if like completely missing everything, I will throw them a bone. I will literally have like an NPC trip over in front of them and drop a sticky note with like a address <laughs> on it. Um, but typically, no, I'll let them fumble. Um, I think you have to you have to be good at gauging how the mood of your players and the the yeah. the you have to read room. Um, if they're obviously getting frustrated and feel like they're not getting anywhere, you need to push it along. You need to give yeah. them something. Yeah. Um, you have to open up that door. Older versions of Vampire had a great tool for this, which was the Merit Common Sense. Mm-hmm. It's literally, yeah. or, and then you also have Premonitions um, with Auspects. Uh, great tools for driving a narrative because you can just make things happen. But, um, I, especially in Call of Cthulhu, I tend to 
I tend to give them if they if they're stuck on something and can't figure out what the next plot hook is, I will introduce a new plot and let them come back to it if it's important or just yeah. move the game in a different direction. Makes sense. <laughs> I mean I don't find myself in those scenarios too often, but when they happen sometimes uh, they do nothing. I do nothing. You can make this as awkward as you want all day long. <laughs> I, I've seen it. I've seen it actually. I've been in a game where you have been in that stalemate, that Mexican standoff of. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. It actually happened in Call of Cthulhu where they were dealing with an NPC who was clearly insane, and they were asking questions, and like every now and then, the question would just be completely ignored. <laughs> <laughs> and that made it even like creepier for them you know mm -hmm. that's always a good one too like just having npcs blatantly ignore you and then not acknowledge it and then you get angry about it and the npcs is like why what why are you why are you getting mad what's wrong why, with you bro why, why are you getting mad bro um i don't like the energy you're throwing at me right now <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, I started off as snarky, but honestly, that's that's how I approach it. I'm just like, if they don't figure it out, I'm not. I don't. I run a game the I run the game I would want to play in, typically. Yeah. And I don't like having things handed to me, so I would oh, rather. So annoying. Yeah. I would rather have the GM change direction and just give us something new to do while we sit on sleep on it, than hand us a clue and there, are way, there are ways to hand clues though that don't seem yeah. mm -hmm. obvious you know text what i mean like yeah. what's that text message what do you mean like i'll have them get a text from another npc yeah or like in a setting that doesn't have cell phones <laughs> then it's like in then it's an omen yeah yeah premonition yeah. and omen uh ravings of a oracle you know there's something that um there's a there's kind of like this anticipation that's really exciting of not knowing what the answer is mm -hmm. and make and, and ways to make it feel hard and difficult you know and resulting in you know having them roll dice and having them fail those rolls but then you know, uh, I can't get through this door. Like, no, you can definitely get through it. You just got to find the right way to get through it. Yeah, maybe the approach you were trying before wasn't working. Right. Think about it. And I'll always let... That's actually uh, one tactic. I will always let them make an intelligence check or a wisdom check or something like that so I can to see if their character figures it out if the player can't. Um, <laughs> the player doesn't know what the character does. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that happens so, a lot. Yeah. You know, you yeah. you have we always tried to drill it into players' heads, especially new ones, that like you as the player have knowledge your character doesn't, but that is sometimes reversed. Um, I think okay, here's a thing that was presented in session one and we're in session 13 and you the player didn't write it down and don't remember but if your character gets a decent success on a skill check yeah. for memory or intelligence or something like that i'll give you a hint it works right Makes yeah. sense. cool it kind of a 
kind of puts that rift between the character and the player too, which is interesting. It's sort of like the ego and the id looks at each other. You know, <laughs> the two, like, the the two Spider-Man meme kind of yes. pointing at each other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, so what is some advice that uh, you hear that's pretty common that really doesn't just work very well when you're doing games? I've got a good one. Uh, it annoys it, it annoys me uh, endlessly when I read in so many different core books telling your players to roleplay it out or take a moment to roleplay amongst yourselves. That yeah. shit is not good. Everyone sits there and stares at, at each other. Yes. It they never literally works. just, they're like, uh, so, hi. I mean, if you have people who have embraced that ethos, it works because they will guide it. But like, if right. you have a group of people like who are socially awkward nerds, like most RTTRPG like players, most, yeah. yeah, or especially if they don't know the game, yeah, like, people who are new, like or never played vampire the before, they're like, right. uh, yeah, so first time role players even. Yeah, I hate yeah. that. Like, let them let let them role play for a while to set the you know to get to know each other. I'm like. Nah, introduce your characters, and then I'm gonna throw you into the shit. <laughs> yeah, like I and I've I've seen so many GMs do that as like a it's a good way to go. Oh, okay, I gotta go to the bathroom, or I gotta, I'm gonna you know go outside and smoke a cigarette or whatever. You guys will play amongst yourselves if you're trying to plan something big. But at the yeah. same time, I've seen other people do it. Like, oh well, I don't. This is the. I don't want them to leave the inn yet. <laughs> so I'll keep them here by telling them they can roleplay amongst themselves. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I don't like no, that. No. If you've got to run to use the bathroom and stuff and they're already in the middle of a conversation, just tell them to keep going and catch you up when you come back. Like, right. There's one thing that I think here, here, here is the thing, because I was trying, I was racking my brain trying to think of something. Um, the, the GM needs to be prepared for everything. I've heard that advice given to people a lot. You can't like, be. be prepared for everything. No, prepare for nothing. Take an improv class. Yep. <laughs> like, learn to react. Um, or hold your reactions. Like, withhold a facial expression. Ooh, of going, that's hard. Uh, I don't know what to do. It's well, this is you're a, you're a GM. <laughs> Take you, some less poker lessons. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. What do they call it? The face. Yeah. Poker face. Um, poker face. Yeah. I think. Like, uh, let your players control the direction of the game and react to what the players are doing as this world and as the setting. Um, Don't try to push the players in a specific direction, even in a one shot. It doesn't work. And your players will have more fun. I find myself smiling a lot through the entire game. I always, you know that. I'm always there just fucking smirking. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, when they ask me something that's really serious, typically I'm still smiling because I know something really fucked up is going to happen. But because I'm already smiling, they're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, that, yeah, they don't know how to react. Yeah, that can be that can be fun with the tension, too. Yeah, and you kind of have to yes-and everybody. I mean, we're all playing a game of pretend, and yes-anding yes. is kind of part of uh, oh, yeah. improvisation. So you just have to kind of... You as a GM also have to yes and your players as much as they have to yes and each other. So it's sort of. Although, I've been saying no lately to some things. Yeah. Because you don't want 
Mm-hmm. No, I mean, just like I'll have an NPC that like doesn't go along with whatever they want to do. Right. And I just like I get in their face and they're just like, oh, fuck, I didn't expect that. Yeah. It, it, it can get really funny or it can get like really tense for them. They're like, mm-hmm. well, I, I just rolled this. I'm like, yeah, you did. <laughs> that wasn't enough. No, get out of here. You know, and then they're like, uh, and it makes them scramble and try and think. Of, and that's what this game is. Any of these games is great about trying to think on the fly, right? Yeah, it's cool. Throw, throw a monkey wrench in their the bike wheel every now and then. See what but they do. Kind, see what happens. That's kind of a yes ending in, in its own way, right? It's sort of yeah. like I'm in the store and it's like I'm. You're going to let me walk out with this candy bar and I'm not going to pay any money at all. I'm going to be as convincing as I can be. Roll, and you're like, uh, this is one old get man. the fuck out of here, kid. Who got and, shoplifters for years, and he's sick of it, and he's he's <laughs> they get off my lawn. I got a shotgun now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think, you want to um, play that game? Okay. One thing you mentioned though, which is interesting, um, is the well, I rolled this many success, and it's like there's a there's a and this isn't this may even be like unsaid advice, but it's often like make the players feel good. Uh, not in a horror game. <laughs> Not all the time. Not always. <laughs> um, teach them that it sometimes. One of the things about horror is sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you try, you still fail. And you yeah. can, you know, there's a um, the card thing. Like there's a debate in D and D about whether or not a nat twenty is an automatic success or not. Hmm. And I always, and they're like, well, and the the argument is always something absurd, like, oh, my character's gonna jump to the moon, and I rolled a nat twenty, so it happens. And you can either take the yes, and you can't breathe in space, or <laughs> or no, that's stupid. Nat twenties don't mean an automatic success. And it, that's, yeah, your that, abilities that's as a character example. can only go as far. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a kind of an, an absurd argument if you think about it from that standpoint. But from the standpoint of a game like Call of Cthulhu or um, uh, Vampire. You have a you have a threshold. It's basically set, especially in Call of Cthulhu. Like you have a percentage. If you roll lower than that percentage, you succeed. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your action has the outcome you wanted it to have. Yeah, right. like a nat twenty can result in a pretty bad thing. Yeah, like okay, I'm gonna jump to the moon. All right, you roll nat twenty. Yeah, you jump to the moon. You can't breathe in space. You suffocate and die. Right. <laughs> or 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 like I need to open up this steel reinforced door. I roll in at 20 and I break something. So not only is this, now this door is just, you can't even open the door, even if you did find the key, which is by the way, underneath the mat that you're standing on. You broke through it and you destroyed your body. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You broke your hands now. (laughs) Yeah. Or you ripped the door off the hinges and now you can't put it back on. And now there's a guard patrol coming who can obviously tell that someone broke in. Right. I think it's good. That's that good nature. advice for like players who are acting like murder right? hobos. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <now. laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to like talk bad about murder hobos, but like anybody who's who's going yeah. against the flow of a game. Yeah. Whatever that might be, you know, yeah. even even someone who's like taking a very like pink mohawk shadow run game and trying to have it be like <laughs> a like a romantic drama it's like all right dude there's certain ways that you can kind of make that failure nat 20 
work oh, to yeah. your benefit to kind of like give a receipt to that player. Yeah, definitely. There's a there's a um, joke about the bard who seduces everything, and he's like, "I'm gonna seduce the dragon, sleep with it," and it's like, "Cool." Right. By the way, it was a male dragon. <laughs> yeah. And now you're. And now and you're then the player's like, "Um, it worked." <laughs> the best new description for a bard lately that I've never heard of before. A disco mancer. Is it called disco mancer? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. That's great. <laughs> um, there, there was a topic we were talking about before we started recording uh, that I want to circle back around to because it was good. Um, oh yeah. With player advice, uh, particularly with like for GM, well, GM advice, um, how to talk to a player, um, basically how to let a player down, especially if it's like before a game has even started you know if someone's like oh hey i want to play in your game and you you have a set group of players who role play a certain way and you have a tone that you're going for and this fifth wheel player doesn't play in the same style and you know because you know them that they're not going to enjoy that tone and either they're not going to enjoy it or they're going to derail it for all the other players how do you let that player down or and um, give them something else because I think right. that's really what it is. Like, how do you say sorry? This isn't the game for you. One way to do that is to give them something else. Um, we actually have a GM, um, one of the other players in our Providence game, who did that. He literally started an entire new campaign, Chronicle for Mage, to accommodate a single player, and he is actually having more fun running that Chronicle than the original one that already ended. <laughs> than he that's was great. So it was kind of like it worked out for both of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's one good way to do it. Uh, Yeah, I think today's no is tomorrow's maybe. Yeah, I think that's the idea. It's like no, but. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, but my next game is going to be this. We're going to approach it this way. I think you'll love it. Sort of. Or Um, I have someone who runs the exact kind of game that you're looking for. mm -hmm. And honestly, dude. I think that you would have a much better, much better time playing that game yep. in, in his or her game than in my game. Right. My my thing is, it's really hard, especially when you're good friends with someone. It's really hard to say no to them. Um, it's really hard to let a friend down. And... Especially because when they just want to play, like they don't care mm-hmm. what they're playing, they just want to play. Yeah. Right. And I think the best advice I can give in that situation is you need to set boundaries. You need to be able to say no to your friends. You need to be able to tell your friends, I'm sorry, but this isn't going to happen. Here is why let's figure out an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's my favorite way. Cause I don't, I, I feel bad saying no to people mm-hmm. in general in life yeah yeah yes see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like yeah that's the thing it's it's uh it, 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 it directing them away from your game instead of going well no you can't you definitely play it but you're not gonna have a good time this yeah, this person will do better you're not shunning them from the table you're pointing them in a direction that everyone will be more have more fun with even if it's right. you running another game if you have the bandwidth for it or even giving them an opportunity to run the game themselves like no yeah. i know what game i know exactly what game you want to play and i want you to run it and i want to play in that yeah yeah yep. that's even that's, that's an option really good of my advice actually awesome i think that i think that wraps it gentlemen i think so too um <laughs> 
I think I think this is a really good conversation. I hope it was helpful to our listeners to help get some some GM advice as they're planning their games. I know that we're we have some listeners that are like seasoned veteran GMs, and some of this might be old hat to them. But there's there's quite a few newbies that are that don't really hear this kind of thing. Um, I make a joke often that DMs notoriously hide their planning documents because they're never really planning. Um, why, and- why, dude? Why are you giving away my secrets? <laughs> you know, that being said, um, if, uh, whether you're a new GM or an experienced GM and you just want to talk to other game masters, game runners, storytellers, whatever you call yourself, um, hop onto our Discord. There's a great community of people like you at any skill level, at any entry level. And uh, sometimes it's just great to run ideas by each other. Or, you know, if you have a question about your preparation, what you could be doing better, which, what's something you might not have thought about. It's a great place to have that dialogue. So uh, come nerd out with us, join the Discord. Um, you can pretty much find us anywhere else, which we'll plug in a minute, but that's my uh, two cents for getting you to sign up for our Discord. And if you have a player that you need to let down gently from a game you're planning on running, point them to point them to our Discord because I guarantee we have someone running a game that will fit their play style. Yeah, Probably. absolutely. And and if you yourself as a GM are looking for kind of some more advice, maybe a little bit more one-on-one coaching or or help to develop your game or help to, you know, kind of develop your 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 setting, um, we do have a tier on our Patreon where you can get one or all three of us to kind of help you build out your world and develop your game with you. Um, so go to patreon.com slash Gehenna Gaming. Um, there's a bunch of really cool people and there's a bunch of really cool tiers, but um, that's just one of the many, um, along with listening to these episodes earlier, about a day yeah. or two before we publish them. When we remember to. <laughs> when we remember to. Because <laughs> I think we forgot in the last two, but that's okay. Yeah. Our, our our patreon yeah. still love us um what epi- what what episode number is this 14 wow yeah uh that means this will come out before this thing that i can totally announce as of right now as of sunday yes, yes. uh so as of the day of us recording this onyx path launched their kickstarter for they came from beyond the grave which is incredibly exciting it funded in a under the five hours about five hours um i i've been looking forward to this game for a very long time i got to play it at during onyx pathcon um we are going to be running a one shot of it on august 11th Ooh, august 11th on where uh that's a good question actually uh twitch ours or theirs i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yes so either so it's going to be either a twitch tv slash Gehenna Gaming or twitch.tv slash the Onyx, Onyx Path, Path, but it will be on both because in whichever one it's on, the other one will be hosting it. Yeah, so so who's, uh... who's storytelling this one? <laughs> that would be me, sir. Yeah. And you're having us play in it? Yeah, you are both going to be playing in it as well as our good friend Wesley Franks. He is a good friend, I'll admit that. And one of our wonderful Gehenna Gaming mm-hmm. members. Nick. Not Gehenna. a good friend. Gehenna. Gehenna. Well, he's a Gehennaite because he's like official. Yes, he is. He's official. He's our Twitch producer. He's also, I think, playing Resident Evil over on our Twitch oh, channel. Oh, Nick right is now. a good friend. 
Nick is a good friend. Um, but yes, I will be running Horror at Redstone Academy. Oh, I'm so excited. I, I'm, I'm so pumped about this. I am very much looking forward to it. So uh, make sure you tune in on August 11th. It's going to be a blast. So much fun. Yeah, make sure to follow us on, on Twitch. Uh, also buy teachers from us. Otherwise, we're not going to be making any money doing this. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anything uh, we have, there's a bu- there'll be a bunch of links in the show notes. If you want to support us in any way, buy a sticker, buy a t-shirt, Patreon, uh, our Ko-Fi, coffee, whatever, however it's pronounced. Um, oh, Ko-Fi, I like that. Sounds or jump cool. over to Twitch and subscribe to us. All of those options are available to you. Or just send pictures of middle fingers to my Twitter account. Marchosius yeah, with fives instead of S's. Follow yep. Marchosius' OnlyFans. Join our, join our Discord <laughs> and just post a picture of you flipping us off. We will also take that as payment for our souls. It's true. It is um, true. We, uh, we typically, we now and then we do some extra nice things for our Patreon members as well. We do. We include Sometimes them in uh, fun little games. Sometimes it's a campaign and all that stuff. So yeah, sign on to that and uh, Sometimes we throw some sneaky tidbits your way because we, we love you. We do. So that said, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Uh, we will be back in one week's time. Keep listening. Don't stop. Stay Never. scared, America. <laughs> Stay Never. scared. Stop listening. Never Better sleep. Stop scaring. <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional <laughs> creepy laugh. <laughs> I, can't, I don't think I can do the creepy laugh. <laughs> <laughs> if you're really creepy, you don't laugh. I know that's Unless true. It's like you a just kind child of child giggle. That's that's a good one. What yeah, would that, that sound like? That's creepier. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh yeah, that's like my daughter telling me that the cemetery is a dead park. I love that. <laughs> that wasn't creepy that was at all. Amazing. I live right next to a dead park. <laughs> I used to live across the street from one. I grew up. I grew up across the street from one. Anyway, favorites. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the recording off then. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Gehenna Gaming Podcast. Your attention has been noted. You can find us online at GehennaGaming.com, on Twitter at Gehenna Gaming, twitch.tv slash Gehenna Gaming, and patreon.com slash Gehenna Gaming. And remember, immerse yourself in the genre.